While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast. Welcome to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Um, tonight's the State of the Union. One of the people in attendance at the State of the Union is joining me now. Uh, one of our congressmen, Congressman Jake Ockenclaus from the 4th Congressional District. Congressman Ockenclaus, uh, thanks for joining me. How are you? It's always good to be on your show, Marcus. Appreciate it. So, um, first things first, you have the State of the You're heading into the, the, the Capitol building for the State of the Union. Um, you're bringing a guest, an independent pharmacist uh, from your district. Can you tell us uh, more about your your guest and why do you, why do you think it was important to, uh, to to bring them? Cheyenne is a immigrant from the Chinese mainland who has become a successful small business entrepreneur here in Massachusetts, and who demonstrates the tremendous contributions that immigrants make to both our economy as well as our communities. She also, as an independent pharmacist is a really a community advocate for better drug pricing policy and for helping particularly our seniors handle the cost and complexity of Medicare beneficiaries. Uh, this is an area that I've been focused on since I got to Congress. We took action last Congress with Medicare negotiation of drug prices. We still have work to do to ensure that the savings that insurance companies are able to wring out of the drug pricing supply chain are actually passed on to the patient at the countertop. That's the, that's the clarion point for me. There is so much complexity and opacity in the drug pricing supply chain. And sometimes you'll make progress in one part of the supply chain, but that the value that gets created is still captured somewhere else. And the whole point of this is to make sure that that, that progress and value gets passed along to the patient when they're actually buying the drugs at the countertop. And independent pharmacists have a unique viewpoint on that. So she and I have been discussing this, and I'm working on some policy at the federal level and excited to continue to help patients afford drugs. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss. Um What are you expecting uh, from President Biden's speech, or what do you hope to hear um, President Biden talk about this evening in the State of the Union? I expect and believe it's going to be an optimistic, positive speech about how Democrats delivered over the last two years about his continued commitment to work with Republicans in good faith on the challenges before us, and foundationally about his deep belief in the soul of this country 
and that America can outcompete any other nation uh, if only we focus on the heritage that has always made us strong, freedom, democracy, science, uh, these things that are uh, central to our identity, to what has made us the wealthiest, most powerful nation in the history of the world. Speaking of uh, competition with other countries, uh, you were recently appointed to a select committee um, on uh, China. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the focus of that committee and um, why uh, you were selected uh, to, to be a member? I'm a millennial. I'm a veteran. Uh, that's a rare profile in this Congress. I think it gives me a unique perspective on the competition we have with the Chinese Communist Party. And I'm excited about this select committee because it is an opportunity to rise above partisan politics to chart a sound strategy for a really century-defining uh, competition with China, with our nearest adversary. And it is going to be multifaceted. In some areas, we have to prepare for conflict. In the Taiwan Strait, in the South China Sea, we have to be ready to fight and win. Uh, in some areas, we're going to compete. Investment in the global south, uh, trade and research and development. And then in some areas, we actually want to collaborate on transnational challenges like climate change and global public health. So it, it, what we can't do is pound the table and say there's one easy answer. That's not true. It's going to require a three-dimensional approach to, uh, to how we relate to 1.4 billion people. So one of the things that's obviously been in the forefront of the news with respect to China is the spy balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean on Saturday. Um, how do you rate uh, President Biden's response to um, the China uh, the the spy balloon? Do you think he should have shot it down sooner? Do you think he shot it down at the right time? And what message do you think the Chinese government was sending um, by letting that balloon fly over into U.S. airspace? I can't get inside the mind of the Communist Party's Politburo, so I'm not going to say what message they're sending. What I will say is that our president handled this well. He had three objectives. One, he had to uphold the sovereignty of American airspace. Two, maximize counterespionage, counterintelligence opportunity. Number three, ensure the protection of lives and property on the ground. He accomplished all three. We were able to shoot down the balloon and send a strong message to the international community that we are not going to tolerate incursions into our airspace. We were able to jam the balloon and recover the assets so that we can maximize our ability to discern their capabilities. And number three, nobody got hurt. This was a win. And it was frankly pretty disappointing that the GOP, at a moment when the Chinese Communist Party looks weak and frankly incompetent, refused to rally around America's national security and support the commander-in-chief in the execution of his duties. And instead, they just looked for cheap points to score on cable news by criticizing him for made-up transgressions. I, I hope that's not going to be the tenor of the China Select Committee going forward. Well, to that end, uh, to that point, um, you know, it's a majority Republican Congress, so it's a majority Republican China Select Committee. Are you anticipating working with um, your colleagues across the aisle um, on the things that you'd mentioned before? Or do you think this is going to be used as a sounding board to criticize uh, President Biden uh, on China for, for political purposes? Yes, have to work with Republicans. The history of American foreign policy is quite clear on this front. Sustainable, effective American foreign policy requires bipartisan support in Congress. Full stop. Got to do it. 
So um, another uh, foreign matter, uh, foreign affairs matter that you've been a, a pretty vocal leader on is uh, the war in Ukraine. I uh, had your uh, colleague on Congressman Keating on on Friday. He talked about the importance of staying in that war uh, or in, uh, in terms of supplying resources to the Ukrainian people. Um, there has been some conversation, uh, particularly on the far right side of the uh, of the Congress, about cutting off aid um, to uh, to to the Ukraine um, under the guise of, I think, some sort of altruistic, never getting into forever forever wars reasoning. Why do you think it's important to stay um, in the fight against uh, Russia with Ukraine? We need to stay with Ukraine for as long as it takes, and there's a host of reasons why. First. We need to uphold the post-war rules-based order that America helped architect after World War II that has spread peace and prosperity to ever more people. Uh, Number two, we need to stand with Ukrainians whose lives and livelihoods are being immiserated by this unprovoked, unjust aggression from the Russians. Uh, Number three, we've got to send a stark and clear message to the authoritarian regime in Moscow and in Beijing and in Tehran that might does not make right and the united states is going to stand with freedom and democracy when it comes under assault Uh, and then finally this is the best return on investment from a national security perspective of the 21st century for about 100 billion dollars which is you know rough numbers here about 15 percent of our annual defense spending we have uh cratered between a third to a half of russia's conventional military capacity we have induced germany japan taiwan south korea australia to all spend more and, and invest more time and attention to their national security capabilities, and we are on track to double NATO's border with Russia. This has been a huge win for NATO and for uh, our alliances with our East Asian partners uh, for really, in the grand scheme of things, not very much money. Can you explain what you mean by uh, double NATO's border with Russia? Yeah, Finland... Uh, has traditionally not been a member of NATO. They've right. had a very, um, very complicated relationship with Russia, given their their border with Russia and, and previous conflicts. But this tipped them over the edge. And once we can get by Turkey's intransigence on the matter, I do expect they will join the the alliance. And so why do you think it's important for NATO um, to not only remain but to grow in membership? Uh, well, it's it's about boxing in Russia's expansionism and aggression. And also, the, the, it's not just about size with NATO, it's about resolve. Think of it in two dimensions, like the width. Think of that as the number of countries that are in the alliance, and obviously that has benefits in terms of economies of scale and scope and military collaboration and our ability to share intelligence. There's real benefits to size. But also think about it in the dimension of depth, about how deep does our resolve go when we are challenged. And what this conflict has done is it has both widened and deepened NATO. Yes, we're going to be bigger, and yes, the the domains across which we are collaborating are going to expand, but also, and maybe even more importantly, it's gotten deeper. We trust and know that when push comes to shove, we'll be there for each other. Now, that cannot be taken for granted. Let's be very clear. We're already seeing some unfortunate cracks and intransigence with Germany and and others. But the worst possible thing that could happen for this newfound sense of unity and purpose is for a Republican-controlled Congress to blink just because Putin flexes. Uh, Pulling back on our materiel or economic aid to Ukraine would severely damage NATO's strength and 
significantly empower the Kremlin. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss, uh, represents part of the South Coast down here. Um, so, uh, Congressman, um, to that, uh, uh, so one of the, the bargaining chips they're using uh, for uh, or the far right wants to use for Ukrainian aid or for other things is the negotiations over the debt ceiling. Um, why is it important that um, the Congress votes to raise the debt ceiling and we not go into credit default? So always important to start this conversation by emphasizing that the debt ceiling is not about how much we spend or how much we raise. Right. That is done through a separate process called appropriations. We have a process. It's a vigorous debate, and I welcome and encourage uh, you know, an exchange of ideas. This is about does the United States pay our bills on time? Yeah. And the answer has always been yes in our long and proud history, and that's why the full faith and credit of the United States is one of the most important pillars of our geoeconomic strength. What the Republicans are doing right now is they're taking hostage our credit rating, which directly affects Americans' retirement accounts. Let me be very clear. Directly impacts the returns on your retirement account if treasuries uh, and thereby other stocks and bonds take a hit because we are rattling capital markets. They are taking hostage that credit rating, and then they are (laughs) proposing a nonsensical suite of policy solutions in exchange. So what Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, has said is, hey, listen, I'm not going to raise any taxes. I'm not going to touch Medicare, not going to touch Social Security, not going to touch defense spending, but I want to cut hundreds of billions of dollars in spending. So just mathematically, and this is not even a political statement, this is literally arithmetic, what that means is he wants to zero out every single federal program from uh, you know, support for veterans, support for housing, support for fentanyl. Every single federal program gets zeroed out. That's his proposal. That's clearly nonsensical. I mean, that's not even a rational position to start from. And so I think President Biden and Democrats are sitting there saying, you know, you've taken this hostage, but, you know, when the hostage negotiator has been called in, all we're hearing is jibber-jabber. Like, right. what are you even talking about? Come, up, come to us with a budget. The only thing we've seen from them so far in their very first bill they passed in the 118th out of the House was a bill that actually increased our federal deficit by $100 billion while helping the wealthy and well-connected evade taxes. So we just don't have a grown-up at the table right now. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss um, of the uh, 4th Congressional District. Does the... Do you think that Kevin McCarthy's um, very slim majority and very tenuous relationships provides an opportunity for Democrats to um, leverage him legislatively? There's no question Democrats are going to have to, you know, be at this at this negotiating table. President Biden's going to be there. The Senate's going to be there. The House is going to be there. I don't think, though, that we can we can't rescue Kevin McCarthy from his own incompetence, though. (laughs) Uh, you know, this guy's the Speaker of the House. He's third in line to the presidency. This is a serious position. And when he spews babble uh, and is not even able to articulate what exactly he means when he talks about uh, spending and taxing, it, it, it actually kind of slows down the conversation because we need grown-ups around the table. And Kevin McCarthy, he's really got to demonstrate that he's, he can stand up to the chaos caucus in his conference and actually come forward with real solutions. Speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss, one more thing before I let you go, Congressman, and I appreciate you joining me this evening. Um, You delivered the first AI-generated speech uh, on the House floor. Now, um, 
I didn't go to MIT. I'm just a lowly public interest attorney. So can you tell me why this isn't terrifying that you're able to generate a speech that can be spoken on uh, um, on the Cong uh, congressional floor? Oh, boy, Marcus, if you think that was scary, <laughs> wait until you see the Model 4, which I got a preview of, and which spat out on the very first attempt a speech that, frankly, is probably better than I could have put in pen to paper on myself for wow. my own voice. It is alarming, uh, unnerving how good this has gotten and how fast. Really, since 2017, we've seen uh, it go from incremental improvement to, to exponential improvement. And every industry, education, financial services, law, healthcare, needs to do a sectoral level set of stakeholder engagement to decide what are the guidelines, what are the rules for how AI is internalized in this industry. There's no one-size-fits-all approach. You know, I proposed in my speech that we need a center of excellence that's publicly funded and that allows startups and civil society and university researchers and government officials to access the same cloud computing and data and algorithmic uh, advances that the big tech companies have. Because we don't want the big tech to dominate AI the way it dominated social media because we saw with social media that we, you know, we weren't too happy with all the consequences right. of monopolistic behavior there. Let's not do that again with AI. Congressman Jake Auchincloss, um, uh, enjoy yourself at the State of the Union tonight, and uh, thanks for joining me this evening. Good to be with you. Of course. That was Congressman Jake Auchincloss, uh, one of our congressmen in, in the South Coast. So glad that they, we were able to have both Congressman Keating on uh, on Friday night with Chris and I talking about these important fall, uh, foreign policy issues. And, of course, Congressman Auchincloss on tonight um, as he uh, heads into the Capitol building for the State of the Union address that's going to be delivered by um, President Biden. So, really, I thought, very interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you missed any of it, of course, you can check out our podcasts on uh, WBSM.com or the WBSM app or anywhere where podcasts are offered. The podcast will be uh, will be available shortly after the 7 o'clock hour ends. I try to get it uh, out to market as soon as possible so you all can enjoy it. Uh, so 508-996-0500 is how you can get the program. Later on, we're going to have the lead attorney in the federal lawsuit filed against the uh, state of Massachusetts for the Voke Tech um, for their Voke Tech admissions policies. I also have a story on WBSM.com you can check out on what the two Ward 3 candidates think uh, with respect to uh, providing access to vocational education and whether or not they'd support uh, Mayor John Mitchell, uh, New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell's nominee, Carol Pimentel, for the Voke Tech school board if she comes up in front of the city council again, which all signs point um, to that happening. So uh, we're going to be joined by that lead attorney, Miriam Albert, uh, at um, at 8 o'clock. I have, uh, just to be clear, and I'll make it clear after the interview with attorney Albert, I have uh, reached out to Voke uh, multiple times to get somebody on the show and um, to get somebody from Voke on the show. Uh, there was some interest at first. I don't know if there still is. Maybe people are busy. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But just to be clear, we are making an effort to have all sides of the argument featured on this uh, on this program. So uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Let's actually go to the phones before I take a break. Good evening. You're live. Hey, Marcus. How are you? Hey, Barry. What's up? Uh, hey, first of all, I just want to thank you for being there uh, at the uh, funeral services. Marcus, you're a good soul and a good friend. 
Um, and thank you for that. Yeah, Ed was a great. Ed was a great guy. He was. He was one of the best yeah. guys. I mean, he he did so much for us. He let us hang out at his big Cape Mansion. We were like, you know, in our early twenties. You know, and, and just uh, have the run of the place. He don't, he's always so accommodating and nice. We're really, we're, we're, we're really all going to miss Ed. So, yep. And uh, I, I don't remember you ever getting or Lenny ever getting a dorm damage bill for the parties we threw over there. Did you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. Mark, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't. Sure, I wasn't sure how much time, son, you had before a hard break. But um, what, what I wanted to do, if I get two minutes, sure. uh, in, in uh, Rep. Marcus, Marcus, you get some great people on. Thanks. But, um, wanted to do be father time and do a history lesson here and um i know a lot of your listeners uh you know we've had some cold days in the winter and um i know it's a uh it, it's a it's a difficult thing to have a an energy uh policy that that the democrats have and still being a registered democrat but um prior to Oculus, you had uh, joe kennedy that was the rep there correct Yes. Yep. And when he ran for Senate, that's how the seat yep. became open. Yep. Yep. We yep. all, you know, Ian Abreu, Walter, Mini, uh, 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 um, you know, we all worked, uh, even worked with, with the, the former mayor to try to get him elected. Mm-hmm. But his dad, um, uh, his dad was, was our, our uh, congressman also. Up, up, and then it was uh, after after Joe, it was uh, my good friend, uh, the mayor of Somerville, Mike Capuano. I yes. did a lot of business. But what I want to go to, Marcus, is is that our listeners here, um, do you remember Joe for Oil? Joe, yeah. Joe Ken- All right. So that was Sitco Oil, which is an Argentinian company. And you know a couple of guys in the oil business that, that you play football with uh, with the Mass Maritime. But the point that I'm making is a lot of people in, in, in your listening audience, it's important, especially in the cold up here. You know, I don't know what their auction class is talking about with IT and the China balloon. I could care less about that. You know, I think your listeners are more in tune with the coal that we had last week. And Joe for oil, what he did with Argentina was do you know how many millions of barrels of oil that Joe was oil, it Argentina or Venezuela? Uh, oh, you might be right. I'm sorry. I think correct. It was Venezuela. But how many millions of barrels of oil got pressed through New Bedford furnaces? Our people here in New Bedford, Joe Kennedy and Joe for Oil and Sitco, they millions of barrels of oil were designated to come into Boston and were burned through our furnaces here in New Bedford for the needy people. And my only question to you, Marcus, you do a great job interviewing people, is is where is that? You know, uh, a lot of what you bring is great ideas. You're a forward thinker, but I'm an old person, and I know I have a lot of older friends that are on fixed budgets. In Jopa Oil and the Sitco Oil, why can't we get that back here? I mean, let's face it, we're freezing our asses off. Yeah. And, well, the Venezuelan government isn't exactly a friend right now. So. Okay. Okay. So, Marcus, what's the next answer? I really don't care what it is. Yeah. We're freezing our asses off here. And I think we need to look on both sides of the aisle because I don't know about you, but it was what, like a negative 20? People couldn't turn the heat on properly. Yeah. There were a lot of damages, uh, you know, with, with pipes freezing. I think what we got to do is we got to transition. And, you know, you know, those are Democrats, you know, the Kennedys, Joe Foyle. Why can't we think outside the box and help our own people get through this winter? And I know, Marcus, you'll, you got a hot break and you got to cut me there, Barry. But um, uh, it might be something interesting that we could bring back for ideas to, to do that, Marcus. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I think it's been a relatively mild winter so far. Um, 
I think we probably do need to do do more to have to provide energy assistance, but I think that's more of a monetary thing than a than a maybe a a supply you know a supply of oil type of. Well, uh, there, you there you go with giving away my tax money, but but Marcus, <laughs> how did that how did that Citco oil come in before? I don't think we paid for it. I'm it not. Was, uh, I'm not. I listen. I you know that was about twenty or so years ago, so I'm not entirely sure. On the specifics on that, I'm not I'm not as brushed up on it. McCarthy is it? He's not here tonight, unfortunately. We'll be back tomorrow, but I'm not entirely sure on that. It, it might be something we could look into because the Kennedys have always been very helpful to, to the Democratic Party and to uh, and to obviously to the state of Massachusetts and the Commonwealth. So again, Marcus, thank you for being a good soul and being a good friend. We appreciate your uh, we appreciate your talents. Thank you. Thanks so much, Barry. I appreciate it. Thank you, All right, we're going to take a break. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. 1420 WBS. Tonight, I'm Marcus Farrow. Again, I want to thank Congressman Jake Auchincloss for taking time out of, uh, you know, a very busy day uh, to join me and join you all uh, to talk about some of the goings on here, uh, in, uh, here and elsewhere. Um, I think it's pretty interesting uh, that his comments on China, where I think were really interesting, his comments on the on Ukraine, um, I think are are pretty interesting too. More or less in alignment with most members of Congress, there has been some resistance. So I've been sort of there's been some, as far as the Ukraine goes, you know, he's been one of the vocal leaders. There's been a little bit of resistance from the Democratic Party, but not much. Um, most of the resistance has come from the the Republicans, and I think Keating had spelled it out pretty clearly that you know we're we have a treaty with NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. We have a treaty with NATO, and if another country, if a NATO country is invaded by Russia, we have to put boots on the ground. Right, we're in a full scale, like you said, a full scale World War Three. We have to put human capital behind the effort to stop Russia on its track. So doing it now is the best path forward to ensure that we don't have to, right? I think he, I, I thought it was spelled out pretty, I thought it was spelled out pretty clearly and, and, and pretty logically. Um, you know, as long as we are a member of, a, you know, as long as we are a member of NATO, um, we have an obligation to our NATO allies, and that obligation includes boots in the ground. If there's a situation in which uh, Russia, you know, moves beyond Ukraine and into NATO allied countries like the Baltics and Moldova, etc., right? So, um, it's something I've sort of internally, you know, kind kind of had a hard time with because I'm a pretty you know i've got a pretty strong non-interventionalist type of stance but it's mostly because it's been hard to imagine many wars that we've been in throughout the last 50 or so years that have really been justifiable um and can like be seen through to an actual legitimate end um you know we saw that in a lot of wars that have happened uh you know in the last half century they haven't ended particularly well because the point 
was never really what they expressed it to be. You know, Iraq and Afghanistan, for example. And so those could never be seen through to a legitimate end because the express purpose wasn't the express purpose wasn't legitimate here i think the 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 lines are a little bit clearer on this one there is a foreign power that foreign power is looking to expand they're looking to expand into a country and then looking to expand into our allies afterwards and do we act now so that we don't have to do we act now in a facilitator capacity which by the way has been very effective do we act now in that facilitator capacity that has been effective to stave off the Russian aggression or do we passively say well listen not our fight not our problem and then it will become our problem eventually because that seems to be the case you know, Keating said himself, Putin has expressed in writing uh, his plans uh, beyond Ukraine, which expand beyond Ukraine. And so is that a tenable situation for the United States? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. Uh, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it is. So it looks uh, again, I, something that I've sort of struggled with, especially considering, you know, the Iraq war wasn't really. The Iraq war was never justifiable. The Afghanistan war was never really justifiable. We found that out afterwards, um, basically. The, the country found that out afterwards. That it was done, you know, that, that war was negotiated. You know, the negotiations to get in that war were done in bad, you know, done in bad faith with bad intelligence. Um, but here, I think the situation is a bit more bright-lined than it was, you know, 20 years ago when everybody was frankly scared to death. Uh, after, you know, on the heels of 9-11. Everybody was scared to death and willing to believe anything. There was an opportunity there. And sure, you can say, well, there's an opportunity here, right? There's an opportunity for, there's an opportunity for, you know, the same moneyed interest that had made a fortune off of the Iraq and Afghanistan war to, you know, reallocate that capital or reallocate that business elsewhere. That's entirely true. Um, that's entirely true. That can happen. That is something that's probably going to happen. It's just a matter of is the end result going to be worth it um, at this point for Af Iraq and Afghanistan? Yeah, we accomplished nothing in terms of an, a legitimate foreign policy goal that, you know, it accomplished what it needed to accomplish, which was enriched with the people it needed to enrich. But here, I think stopping, you know, you know, stopping. Putin from expanding, you know, stopping and Putin uh, Putin's empirical aspirations is a legitimate is a legitimate foreign policy achievement and one that I I think at this juncture I'm saying I think it's worth pursuing. I think the last time you know you had a clear like goal execution of that goal. And, you know, you met that goal in terms of a, 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 a war effort was was um, was really World War Two. And I think this is there's some similarities here, not obviously entirely, but I think there's a lot of similarities here. So five zero eight nine nine six oh five hundred is how you can join me this evening. I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back.
Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Would you like to save? They know the local issues from the inside out, and they call it like they see it. Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow are back with more South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Uh, Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I am Marcus Farrow. Um, So uh, Marcus Uno in New Bedford says... The Ukraine is an outdated pro-Russian designation. If I said the Ukraine, um, that was definitely a mistake on my part. Uh, I definitely meant to say Ukraine. Um, But it's one of those things. Just one of those habits, right? If I said it, it's if I said the Ukraine, um, I did not mean to do that because I am trying to be more aware of that. It seems unimportant, Um, certainly to me, like on a personal level, it's unimportant. But I understand to to Ukrainians, it is important. That's my understanding. So if I said the Ukraine, and it's hard for me to remember everything I said, even even if I just said it, (laughs) um, that's the pitfalls of talking for 15 hours straight a week. Sometimes you don't remember every single thing you said. But uh, if I said the Ukraine, I meant to say Ukraine. So uh, thank you for um, for uh, calling that out if I did that. Um, Marcus Uno from New Bedford. I appreciate that. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening if you'd like. Again, we're going to have... Um, we're going to have the lead attorney in the Vogue Tech Admissions uh, lawsuit um, joining us in the 8 o'clock hour, which I think is going to be pretty interesting. I've been trying to find out uh, for the State of the Union tonight who is the designated survivor, and I don't know who it is yet. Last year, it was Gina Raimondo. Gina Raimondo was the designated survivor, and she and uh, she's the Secretary of Commerce, obviously a Rhode Island native. Ted Nisi actually just had a great interview with her recently. Um, but friend of the show, Ted Nisi. But uh, I don't know who it is today, but the designated survivor for people who don't know is somebody who uh, is a member of the president's cabinet that is sequestered away from the, the State of the Union because everybody else is literally everybody else that would be in line for the presidency that works in D.C. is at the State of the Union. So they pick a designated survivor. A lot of that's usually just based on, um, you know, if it's a cabinet appointment that isn't really going to be featured as much. Like they probably won't have to, like Tony Blinken probably won't be the designated survivor tonight because he's a secretary of state. He should probably be there. They're going to say some stuff about China and they're going to zoom in on Tony Blinken, right? So he's probably not going to be there. I bet Merrick Garland probably will be. I mean, he uh, won't be the designated survivor. I bet Merrick Garland's going to be there. They're probably going to pick somebody else, like maybe the HUD secretary, right? Or the secretary of the interior, somebody like that. But basically, they're just basically a fail-safe in case something terrible happens in Congress and everybody dies, in the Capitol or nobody's able to serve. There's a designated survivor, which is a member of the president's cabinet who would be next in line. That was also the subject of a popular TV show starring Kiefer Sutherland, who played Jack Bauer on 24. It was called designated survivor. He was the HUD secretary and the Capitol was blown up, making him the president of the United States. 
So, yeah, because, you know, the, the line of succession, as a lot of people do know, is the president, who's the already the president, the vice president, um, who would be next in line, who's also there. The Speaker of the House is third in line, who's there, obviously, Kevin McCarthy. Um, and then it's the president pro tempore of the Senate, I believe. And the president pro tempore of the Senate is, I, my understanding is, the longest serving member of the majority party. That's the president pro tempore. I don't know. It used to be, it used to be Patrick Leahy. I don't know who it is now. Um, Patrick Leahy from Vermont, but he just he just left. He he um he decided not to seek another term. So I'm not sure who it is now. Uh, maybe Diane Feinstein. I don't know. I'll check. I'll check after this break. It's it's Patty Murray from Washington. She's the president pro tempore uh, of the of the Senate. She she's been a senator for. Like thirty years, I think she's been there since ninety three. Um, I was just talking about the designated survivor. I still don't know who that is, but I'll figure it out before the show ends. Again, we're gonna have we're going to have uh, um, uh, Miriam Albert. She's the uh, lead attorney in the Vogue Tech Admissions case. She's going to be joining us at eight o'clock. So stay tuned for that. And um, I think a, a good conversation. And we'll. Uh, We'll we'll take your calls on the other end at five or in your app chat messages too at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. That's how you can join us this evening and every evening on South Coast tonight. So after the break, you know, just stay tuned for the news, get uh, some updates, and then you'll hear from Miri and Albert.